0: To come alive with pastor mark martinez
1: we as christians often do that we we jump ahead and then all of a sudden god says no i'm not gonna let you do that we get burned somehow we we get turned to toast and then we're like my god why, why would you allow that to happen? See, a, a Christian's proper response should be, now what? Not, why? Our first response should be, how? And if we blow it, we didn't ask first and foremost. It should be, now what?
0: proving himself in battle, David turned his attention and heart to the spiritual state of the nation of Israel. He undertook the enormously meaningful task of bringing the long-abandoned Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem. Although his intention seemed wonderful, the way he goes about it leaves much to be desired in the eyes of the Lord. It's a shame that David didn't first ask God how he wanted things to be done. The ends don't justify the means with God. He also very much cares about how we go about doing His work. In today's message, Pastor Mark will remind us to go back to the Lord and get our instructions from Him. Well, let's join Pastor Mark in the book of 2 Samuel chapter 6 with today's edition of Come Alive.
1: In our studies in Samuel, the last couple of weeks, we've noticed that there are two types of people. And and more than just a couple of weeks, even in 1 Samuel, we see those who spend a lot of time in the fleshly fish tank, so to say, just kind of swimming around in circles, doing the same old, same old. They moan and they complain and they gripe and and then they spend a lot of time recovering from doing the things and being on those journeys that well that were far from God's plan and far from God's will. And then there are those who tend to go on a carnal road trip, but they don't get very far. They keep those short accounts. They come back in a in line quickly because they they're after God's heart. They want to be is Christ-like as possible, and they want to obey God's precepts and his principles and and honor those precepts and principles. And so when you drive, you you know, sometimes, and just to kind of give the definition, if you're taking notes what a precept and a principle is, and the best way that I know how to do this is when you're driving and you see a sign on the road that says 55 miles per hour, 35 miles per hour, that's, that's a precept. And what that means is at 1 o'clock in the morning or 1 o'clock in the afternoon, that speed limit is the same. It doesn't change. So that's a precept. It doesn't change at all, no matter what. If there's rush hour on that, it's still 55. You may not do 55, but the limit is 55. And so when you notice those signs, that that speed limit is a precept. And so a principle would be a sign that says, drive carefully. Or the ones I see here in Texas, drive friendly the Texas way. I don't know if they still have those. And hopefully, um, if you're not from Texas, you've seen friendly drivers and you're not turned off by the way we uh, rage on the roads. But anyway, it means one speed and heavy traffic, right? Drive friendly, drive carefully it means one speed and heavy traffic and something entirely different when you're on the open roadway. It's completely different on that non-congested highway. You would drive carefully a certain way in traffic and carefully and another way in non-congested areas or roads. So a principle basically needs to be applied with wisdom. A precept is just a hard fact, a rule. Boom, there it is. That's what it is. And so David has just become king over the entire nation of Israel. And we're going to see one of his first acts as king. And we're going to see some things here. And the reason I kind of give you a little introduction to precepts, principles, um, speed limits, fish tanks, people, you know, uh, complaining and people who keep short accounts is because we're going to see all that in here this morning. And so have you ever experienced something, you know, and this is this is what David's going to do. He experiences something so great in his life. And you and I might have experienced something so great in our life that we were like, dude, man, we have just got to tell as many people as possible about that. And as you begin to tell them, you realize that words are not doing this thing justice. Anybody ever been there? Maybe you've experienced a restaurant. You're trying to describe the taste of of food. Some of you are probably hungry going, no, don't talk about food. So we won't. Well, we'll talk about something else. Maybe, I don't know, whatever it is, driving a car. Maybe you got to drive a Maserati once or something, and you're trying to explain to somebody that drives a, what's that car Doug drives? Aveo. We got a guy here who drives a little bitty car, very economical, drives a little Aveo. And you're trying to explain to Doug what it is to drive a Maserati, and he's just like, I don't get the leather bucket seats with the five-point harness. What are you talking about? You know, Or me, who drives a Ford F-250, I, 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 and you're trying to explain it, I'm just not getting it, but you're like, you wouldn't understand unless you experience it. And so David is, is kind of like that right now. He's wanting to have the nation of Israel to experience something. And so David, being a man after God's own heart, desires his people to experience the Kabod, that is Hebrew for the glory of God. God's glory. David wants his people to experience God's glory. He wanted everyone in the nation to experience God's glory. Because when you think about it, and we go way back to the very first book of the Bible, when Adam and Eve were in the garden, they walked with God in the cool of the day. Uh, They were surrounded by God's glory, by his kabod, so to speak. And when they sinned, when they ate of the forbidden fruit, God's glory had departed from them. It left. And so they scrambled to cover their nakedness. They scrambled to cover that which was missing, their emptiness, and they did it with fig leaves. And so ever since that time, people have been on a quest to cover themselves. We've been on a quest to cover ourselves, to experience the weight, the substance of God's glory. And so in Old Testament times, the Kabod, or God's glory, was directly linked to the Ark of the Covenant. And so all this by way of introduction is, is so we can introduce this, this piece of furniture, this holy piece of furniture. So back in the days of David, the central place of worship was not the believer, but it was the tabernacle. It wasn't the believer, it was the tabernacle. And under Saul's weak, negligent well reign, it was kind of very empty, uh, the emphasis of God's glory, the tabernacle just sort of drifted away. It just got away. And so under Saul's reign, a very important piece of furniture had gotten separated from the nation of Israel, from the priests, thanks to a guy named Eli's sons. And, and remember when uh, Eli's daughter-in-law, when he finds out that his two sons are dead in battle and the Ark of the Covenant is taken away, he falls over backwards, breaks his neck, dies, and his daughter-in-law dies after she has birth and gives birth to her son, and they named him Ichabod, for God's glory had departed. And so, anyway, the Ark of the Covenant had gotten taken away, gotten captured. And in those days, when you captured something like that, it meant that, well, you just took the presence of God away from Israel. That's what the Philistines thought. And so what they did is they stuck it in a room with, do you guys remember the guy's name, their little statue? Dagon, the fish god man thing. And so, kind of like the chicken of the sea, but it was a man. And so... Because the Lord had dwelt in his glory upon the Ark of the Covenant, these people thought that, wow, we just captured their God. We just have taken their God. And so Israel was pretty upset. So the Ark was so important to God, it was a very important piece of furniture, that he'd given Moses, well, some very specific details on how to build it, how to make it portable. And that his children could move the tabernacle as long as they moved this one piece of furniture a very certain way. And there was something that they needed to do as they moved it. As they went through the wilderness and to enter into the land of Canaan. And so as that central place of worship, as they were moving that ark, they were taking it to some place, the promised land. So everywhere the ark of the covenant was placed, God's glory had rested there. And so meaning that the light, that Shekinah glory, that laser beam from heaven, it was considered the holiest place on earth wherever that ark rested. Now, this isn't the Noah's ark. It's not a big boat. And we're going to describe what it looked like. It was a box. It was a piece of furniture, and it had two cherubim on top. And that supposedly is where God had sat between those two angels. And those two angels, if you've ever seen a picture, they're kind of bowed. They've got their eyes covered and their wings are covering them. So take a look at verse 1 of 2 Samuel chapter 6, verse 1. It says, Again, David gathered all the choice men of Israel, 30,000, and David arose and went with all the people who were with him from Baal Judah to bring up from the ark of God, whose name is called by the name of the Lord of hosts who dwells between the cherubim. So here, David had gathered his very best men. Uh, The top guys in the nation to go and, and in a sense, to get God. They're going to go and recapture the Ark of the Covenant. They're going to go get the Shekinah glory. They're going to go pick up the holy of holy things of pieces of furniture that you could ever own. And so here, this place, Baal, Judah, is another name for Kiriath-Jerim. And so many people still ask today this very same question that David asks. And and we're going to see the question that he asks is, how can we get the glory of God in this place? How can we get the glory of God in this place? And, And that is a very important question for every quick Christian to ask in our family. How are we going to get the glory of God in our family? What are we going to do to honor him? And so here, these guys, David says, well, how can we get this? And oftentimes, like David, we try to gather the best around us. We want the best of the best. And we have a parade or a party, and we're going to go get it. We're just going to go get it because we've put this thing together, and it's going to be very successful. Look at verse 3. So they set the ark of God on a new cart. Stop right there. So they get a new cart. Not an old cart. old cart would have worked, but it's God. And so we got new wheels, new axles, new grease. We even got a couple of brand new oxen that probably have never pulled a cart before. They've, they've been trained to pull something, and so now they know how. And so he, they, get, they got it all. They got the new, fancy, latest and greatest cart to transport God back to the promised land, to Israel. And so the, the Ark of God was this box. It was 3 feet 9 inches long, 2 feet 3 inches wide, 2 feet 3 inches high. And in it were tablets of the law that Moses had brought down from Mount Sinai, a jar of manna, and Aaron's rod that miraculously, if you remember, budded as a confirmation of his leadership. And so here's this piece of furniture, and they're about to load it onto a cart. And so being a leader often means thinking in terms of efficiency. How can we, how can the manager or the leader of something, how can we move our widgets from here to there, most efficiently and make the most profit and, you know, be pretty quick about it. And that's what happens sometimes as a leader. We try to think of best methods when you're a leader. And yet being a believer, a Christian sometimes, sometimes needs to be different. Oh, we need to do things a little differently than what the world says is a good leader, um, as efficient as it may be. So transporting the ark on a cart, was against God's specific command. There's a precept. God had given a precept back in Exodus 25, verse 12 through 15. He says, hey, here's how you do this. And again in Numbers 4, 15. And it was only to be transported by the Levites. And, and from the Levites, a certain family in that Levites called Koath. And so only those people could lift and carry that cart. And so why did God command the ark to be carried Why not carry it on a cart? I mean, it would make more sense. You wouldn't wear out the people holding it and carrying it and everything that goes that way. But it was probably because there was to be nothing mechanical about the Ark, which represented his presence. And so the Ark was nothing less than the burden of the Lord. And the burden of the Lord was to be carried on the hearts of the Levites uh, of this certain family. And so we can imagine what these men thought. Look. We have a brand new cart for the ark. And and God's going to be very pleased with our very fancy new cart. He's going to be so stoked. I mean, he's going to love it. We've even put some padding down so it's a smooth ride for God. And and, as they put that little piece of furniture on that cart and they start to haul it away, they thought, man, this new technology or this luxury, man, it can do a lot. But what it couldn't do is cover over their ignorant disobedience. So look at verse 4. With me it says, And they brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill accompanying the Ark of God, and Ahio went before the Ark, and David and all the house of Israel played music before the Lord on all kinds of instruments of fir wood, on harps, stringed instruments, on tambourines, on cistrums, and on cymbals. And then when they came to Nacon's threshing floor, Uzzah put out his hand to the ark of God and took hold of it, for the oxen had stumbled. Stop right there. So, you know, here's a situation. Uh, They're hauling it, and they hit a big bump. Probably, maybe, I don't know, going uphill. And the Ark of the Covenant starts to slide out. And you're the guy in the back. I mean, who wouldn't try to stop something from falling out? Especially God. God's seat. The place where God rests. I mean, whoa, we got to stop it. And so he puts out his hand. Look at what verse 7 says. It says, Then the anger of the Lord was aroused against Uzzah, and God struck him there for his error, and he died there by the ark of God. Now, some of you might be going, Oh, dude, that's not fair. Very uncool. Uh, that, how, how can this happen? I mean, he was just trying to help God out. You've got to think about what was just said. He was just trying to help God out. Does he need our help? I mean, when you start thinking that way, that God needs your help, then he's a very small God. Uh, because, I mean, take a look at your own life. And I look at my own life, and I'm like, man, I've, I, I can mess up some stuff. I, I can really make a mess out of things. And so God needs the help from a guy who can really mess things up seriously? Uh, I don't think so. So here, Uzzah, this guy, just trying to do the, the best that he knew how to do, keep the ark from falling out. It'd be horrible if it broke. And so the people are in full celebration. They get to a place called Nacon's Threshing Floor, and they hit a bump, and Uzzah probably thinks, hey, man, I got it, no worries. I'll push it or stabilize it, and we'll get this thing through. And bam, God microwaves him. He fries him. you toast, Uzzah. And he's dead. You ever been there? That place where you have these big plans, these big parades, this big celebration going on, these big ideas, and even if we hit a bump, you know what, I got it. I'm going to stabilize it. I'm going to do something. I can solve this problem on my own efforts. See, I think where this took place is a perfect place for this to happen. It speaks volumes. A threshing floor, when you think about it. A threshing floor was a place where a farmer would take his wheat. And they would take the wheat and they would throw it up in the air and as the wind kind of blew, it would separate the chaff from the wheat. And the wheat, the thing that you were separating, would fall to the ground and the useless stuff would blow away. And so this happens here. The chaff would go, leaving the grain itself to fall to the ground. It was a separation process. A separation process. And the substantial was separated from, well, the trivial. You might, as a lot of people think, well, this is horrible. Once again, Mark, why would God allow this to happen to, to poor Uzzah? Well, he was a good Jewish boy. He he would have been raised in the Jewish tradition of somebody telling him the scriptures. And again, it's not like they didn't know. And so it wouldn't have happened if the people, well, if David had just obeyed. If David would have just obeyed, if the king would have just stopped for a moment before he thought, hey, this is going to be a good idea. See, so often we're, we're quick to see the horrible. We're, we're fast to see that, man, this is a bad thing. And then ask, God, why would you allow this to happen? And when in reality, we should have asked God, how, before we ever took a step, before we ever started to move forward in the process? God, how do you want me to do this? Think about it. If David would have just asked that one simple question, if he'd have just said, hey, you know, okay, back in verse 1, or maybe even prior to verse 1, Lord, here we are, we're at like between verses, between one and the last one of the last chapter, and I'm really wanting to do this thing for you, and I want to know how I'm supposed to do this. And God could have said, hey, Dave, go, go get a scroll, go pull out that scroll from Exodus, and check out chapter 12, and, and look at it, or I'm sorry, chapter 25, and look at verse 12, and start there. And we as Christians often do that. We, we jump ahead, and then all of a sudden God says, no, I'm not going to let you do that. We get burned somehow. We, we get turned to toast. And then we're like, why, God? Why, why would you allow that to happen? See, a, a Christian's proper response should be, now what? Not why. Our first response should be how. And if we blow it, and we didn't ask first and foremost, it should be, now what? But not why, because the why is a very simple answer. We didn't do it his way. See, these guys, David did things based on convenience. How often do we as Christians do things based off of convenience or efficiency rather than what God would have wanted? We want God's presence very much, don't we? Uh, But we like to hitch his presence to some kind of new cart. And so we like to add him to our list of organizations. We like to load him on top of the mechanics of a busy life. And then we want to drive and say, come on, God, come with me. Join in with me. And it's not how it needs to be. Alan Redpath says, how much of our service is really in the energy of the flesh? I wonder. So often we put forth our hands, but not our hearts. Oh, we put our hands out and start working before we ever consider our hearts. Look at verse 8. It says, And David became angry because of the Lord's outbreak against Uzzah, and he called the name of the place Perez Uzzah to this day. And so here, David is standing alongside a corpse. He's standing alongside this dead guy, and he gets mad. He thought he was doing something for the Lord. How can this happen? I've done all this stuff for the Lord, and this horrible thing happens. And so he realizes now after the fact, that it wasn't acceptable to God. So David could have said, how was I supposed to know? How was I supposed to know, Lord? And the Lord would have responded, well, Dave, bro, I did write it down. I did give the message. If you would have inquired of me and my word, you would have seen that I have a specific way of transporting my ark. And oftentimes this still happens today. Sometimes in business ventures, people rush in because eh, there's money, money to be made, money, 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 and we need it. We need money. So, I mean, how, how can it be wrong? I, I prayed and I feel like the Lord has given me this, and, well, okay. Did you check out a verse in the Bible? Did you, do you have something to base it on? Are you standing on something or just money, uh, that it feels right, that it seems right? Or maybe a marriage. Maybe a marriage. I've seen this happen. Christians chase after an unbeliever or a believer that's very new to the faith because, well, man, that person's good looking. They dress nice. They got a cool car. It seems they got a lot of things going for them. And they say they're a Christian. And a few years later, there are these problems? Uh, I can't get the dude to get up to go to church or my wife won't crawl out of bed to even read a Bible and I can't figure out what's going wrong in my mirror and it's just falling apart. They hurry things along when they should have waited for that young believer to grow in their maturity.
0: King David's story didn't end when he ascended the throne. He had finally achieved the promise God gave him, but his time on earth was far from concluded. He had to raise his family, lead a nation, conquer the enemy, and continue to rely on his Creator to sustain him. David didn't always do this with the grace and perfection we'd assume from a man after God's own heart. In fact, he frequently failed, giving in to temporary pleasures, neglecting what God had for him to do. Every time, though, David came back to his Creator. He repented of his sins and renewed his commitment to God. God's forgiveness was real and available for David. And it is for you today, too. Have you been afraid to come to God because of your life choices? He wants to hear from you. He sees your heart and already knows of your sins and is waiting to offer you forgiveness if you ask. Tracy's here to tell you more about this. Are you ready to meet Jesus and have your sins forgiven? We would be honored to be the ones to tell you about God's Son who came to earth to pay the price for you and every person on
1: earth. That price is death. But because Jesus died, you have the chance to live. Give us a call so we can tell you more. Our number is 281-391-5503.
0: Thanks, Tracy. We are so glad you joined us today, and we hope you'll tune in again to Come Alive.